Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Welcome to Husband Material. Today on the show, I have three friends with me. Husband Material coaches Marcus Spar, Stephen Thomas, and Dr. Doug Carpenter. And today we are talking about healthy male friendship. This is one of the most commonly discussed topics where guys want to know, why is it so hard to make friends? How can I develop healthy male friendships? And how can I do so without sexualizing it or without it becoming unhealthy? And where does physical touch fit into all of this stuff? So this is such a great group for us to talk about this topic together because I feel like we are all growing deeper in healthy male friendships. So as we get started, I just want to ask each of you, what has healthy male friendship looked like for you guys? Well, healthy male friendships for me have been investing time with other men who have genuinely taken an interest in me and also with men where I have felt safe to be myself without there being any kind of judgment. And that's really important because sometimes we pursue people who are just not interested and we end up in these friendships where I'm always the initiator. I'm always the pursuer. And I end up wondering, does this person even want to be friends with me? Yeah, I could piggyback on that and say that um, the healthiest friendships I've had have come when there has been that mutual intentionality uh, and consistency towards each other and um, getting to a place where we both see each other for who each, who each other is and can call out the best in each other and encourage each other towards um, our callings and God and at the same time tell the truth. and and um, have differences and it's not a fight or anything like that, but it's just healthy. Both people are present fully being who they are. And we're trying to do that because our actual goal is that this friendship is producing fruit in each other's lives. Um, and I know it's like a really serious um, thing to, too, but I would also say there's a balance between that and just fun too. Um, I know for me, that's something I really value. So I'm always looking for fun experiences and friendships too. I think like a lot of typical male friendships, they, my close friendships have formed around commonalities, you know, people that I have very similar likes and dislikes. And so, you know, men are very activity based with one another. So they're friends that I share common likes with, you know, we play music together at church. We like to go boating, you know, there are certain things, activities that we do together that have, that have drawn me closer to them. And then that's grown into like a real male friendship, a very healthy male friendship. But I, I think my, for myself, much like most men, I have a lot of male acquaintances. I have only two or three male close friends because mm -hmm. males tend to only have a very small group of friends may have a lot of acquaintances, but you know, we're pretty guarded about how many people we really let in as men. Yes. That's a really helpful distinction between acquaintances and friends. And we're talking about how do you form friends? And I love what you said about having things in common, because that's how 
our friendships have formed here or our professional partnerships have formed because we're all committed to the same mission of helping men achieve freedom from pornography and experience deep healing for sexual brokenness. And that's what I would say about friendships in my life. I have often tried to force friendships and that always backfires. It always backfires in almost anything in life. But the deepest, most long-lasting friendships for me have been the ones that came and grew sometimes without even me trying it, without expecting it. And another thing with my friendships is the most lasting ones have always had a foundation in Christ. That whatever we have in common is built on top of the fact that we are brothers in Christ. And that's what unites us at the core. I think you form your closest relationships with people who have very similar core values as yeah. you. Otherwise, the chasm of, of differences continues to push you further away from that yes. person. So I think your core values pull you together and, and definitely your core values as a Christian, you know, can definitely pull you closer to another person. I think that's a great point because, I mean, the truth is, is we can have friends that don't necessarily have the same core values. But when you're talking about close friends, um, and I, I actually like to think about how Jesus lived his life. You know, um, he had Peter, James, and John in his inner circle. He had the 12. He had the 70. He had a bigger groups of followers. So he kind of had circles of friendships. And it's kind of about recognizing where each person belongs in your life. Um, the people that are going to really be able to align in core values, you're going to want in your inner circle. Um, and as Christians, it's very common uh, that that's, you know, my um, course, my core friends all are Christians. I have friends that aren't Christians, but, you know, if I'm looking for advice, <laughs> they might, but I don't want to be challenged by people that are going to push me away from the Lord. That's just not something I value. They're welcome. Uh, you know, I can love them, but, you know, I think it's actually helpful to identify that because sometimes we get hurt because we have people in the wrong category and we're expecting more from them than we should be. Or, um, and then they let us down where it's like, oh, I mean, if I just recognize that they're here and I love them for who they are right there, you can have a healthy relationship and still feel sort of um, emotionally autonomous, I guess is the best phrase I can think of where you're not relying on them in ways that you shouldn't be. That's so good. All of this sounds wonderful, but in reality, especially right now at this moment in history, I'm going to use a little bit of language here. It is so damn hard to make friends. It is painful. It is confusing. It is difficult. So let's start there. Why is it so damn hard to make friends? And Doug, could you let us know some of the statistics that are coming out about that? Sure. Uh, there was a recent study done. I, I can't think of the origin of it right now off the top of my head, but I think the results came out in, in January of, of 2021 that heterosexual men are the most lonely people in America because they have such limited friendships. So this study found that 15% of men had absolutely no friends, none whatsoever. And another 15% had less than 10. 
I'm surprised that number is not bigger because I think, you know, like I said earlier, I have a few close friends, several acquaintances. It's kind of like that circle Stephen was talking about with Jesus. You know, I think we could put ourselves in that middle and say, okay, here's my inner circle. Here's a little bigger circle. And then here's, here are my acquaintances. The study also showed that having close male friends can increase longevity by 22%. So, you know, I think that's a sign of how important it is for males to have close friends. You know, I, I really liked what Stephen said about how uh, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. You know, he had an inner circle there that then provided him um, w- with some closeness and some camaraderie and, and, and some support that he may not have been, you know, getting at other places. But I think it's very difficult for men to form close relationships. Some of that I think is societal in what what has been told to us about concepts of of relational patterns as far as femininity and masculinity. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but men tend to share activities. We share things that we do. We don't get together and share feelings about stuff. You know, and it takes a little bit of of a male stepping out of that role of traditional masculinity to take a friendship to a deeper level and it not just be centered around activities. Sure. I can go play soccer with you, but you know, do I stand in the parking lot and hear about how you're afraid to go home to your wife because you guys have been fighting all week? You know, probably not. I more, we talk about the soccer game, we get in our cars and we leave, you know, so there's, there's going to have to be some risk. And I think it's damn hard for men to take risk Yeah, when it comes to feelings and saying, you know, Hey, I don't really want to go home right now because my wife is fuming mad at me. You know, um, men also tend to prioritize work and marriage over friendships. You know, really, if you're working full time and you're trying to, take care of a family. We have very limited time and resources. And so we don't make friendship a priority. And so I think the time factor is really hard and makes it a challenge for us to form uh, close friendships. And men also tend to turn to their wives for their psychological and emotional support versus turning to other guys, you know, which isn't always helpful for the relationship either. You know, that person needs to be our love relationship. We may need to have another area where we share other issues like things at work. You know, you may need to talk to another guy about that because your wife may not relate to you in the same way that a guy friend would. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing to prioritize your marriage over your friends or to turn to your wife. And I feel like, Stephen, I've heard you talk about that a little bit. Could you maybe go into that tension that we feel? Yeah. I mean, so it's an interesting thing because like my wife wants to know what's going on with me. Right. Um, And I don't mean in like an overbearing way, like we're in relationship, we're in marriage. She wants to know what's going on with me. Duh. Right. But um, there is sort of, you know, I I would even say we're on a podcast uh, where guys are seeking out healing from porn. Right. So I, I don't, necessarily recommend your wife be your confidant, you know, over the lusts that you go over. That's something you should deal with a guy. But then when you 
dig in deeper and see what the underlying root is, that's what you can share with your wife. You know, I can say, you know, what I learned about myself is I have insecurities about this issue and I'm realizing how it connects to this experience. And they'll like love that. That will actually be a really connecting point in your marriage. And it's interesting too, because again, um, you know, I think we can acknowledge that uh, we have a lot of followers who struggle with same sex attraction. So one of the things too, to avoid even the enmeshment is like, you know, your friends should actually want you to be able to do that too. They should want you to be able to have uh, a great relationship with your wife. They should be saying, Hey, yeah, like they shouldn't be trying to take that place. <laughs> you know um, I get like, for me, you know, we're talking about um, circles of friends. The truth is, is like, there's sort of a game we play um, about, I acknowledge game is not the best term for this, but it's this tension of figuring out who do I want to bring in to my like closest circle of friends. Like for me personally, I, I can deal with someone who's acknowledging I'm struggling in my marriage and I'm even struggling with seeing my wife in a correct way. I have resentment and things that I need to work through and that's okay. But if it's just wife bashing without the acknowledgement that this is an issue with me, like that's like, I'm not bringing you in. I don't want to be influenced by that. You know, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Because we, we need close male friends and we also want to prioritize our marriage and there is a tension there. And these are just some of the things that have come up for me as I've worked through that process. Steve, one thing I want to piggyback on that. There's a research um, article that talks about that phrase, misery loves company. Yeah. Misery loves miserable company. We tend to seek out who people who are in the same misery that we are, and then we commiserate and that's not helpful. We need to find friends who are going to be uplifting, encourage us, support our marriages, not just get together and wife bash. So you're absolutely right with that. And there's research to back that up. Or get together and complain and whine about the porn that we're struggling with or the same-sex attraction that we're struggling with. Now, it's important to grieve and to enter into the emotions. Right. And there's also, I think, what you're, what you're saying is that can turn inward and stagnant rather than what happens when we have a common goal. And another thing that can happen as we're trying to make friends is that we get into this trap of comparison and competition. Marcus, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at just the typical interaction between men, I believe this has come up in some other podcasts as well, where you have these guys wanting to you know, they're meeting for the first time and they're talking and what's, what are the acceptable things to talk about? You can talk about the local sports team. You can talk about cars. You can talk about your job. It's like anything beyond that doesn't really come up naturally in a conversation. And it's like, we are constantly trying to size ourselves with someone else. I don't know who you are. What do you do? Once I know what you do, that lets me know where I stand in relation to where you are. And, you know, if you're someone like me who doesn't care about sports and someone comes up and it's like, yeah, you know, what'd you think of that Seahawks game? I don't know. I didn't watch it. And the other guy's just like, crickets are chirping in the background. (laughs) And they're just like, 
I don't know where to take this conversation now. Yeah. It's like you shut down the only avenue that they have in order to connect with you. And, you know, kind of going along with what Doug and Steven were saying is it takes risk in order to get into that inner circle. And the reason why is because when someone gets into that inner circle of your friendship, then that also means that they are in a position to hurt you the most if there's any kind of betrayal, gossip, or some kind of negative interaction that you have. But without taking that risk, without breaking free from being a human doing and being a human being and allow yourself to be rather than focusing on what you do, you can start finding those really close friendships that are worth the hurt. They're worth the pain and they're worth the effort. I couldn't agree more, man. Especially that focus on what, what do you do? It's one of the first things that people ask when we're trying to meet each other is, Oh, Hey, what do you do? You know, like, what's your job? I find that to be such an unfortunate way to start out our interactions with somebody. And for me, it, it just feeds that idea of comparison. Like, hmm, how important are you? You know, like, yeah. with what regard should I treat you? It's about establishing hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. And that's not safe. No, I mean, I've had people ask me, like, how old are you? And that's an okay question, right? Like, sometimes it's, I, I just want to know that because it's interesting to know about someone. But you can tell when someone's sizing you up. It's just like... It's the frustrating, and at that point, again, these are clues for me. Instead, instead of being offended, I'm just like, okay, like that makes me uncomfortable. This is the person that I don't feel comfortable sharing my inner circle world with. Probably not even here. I'm gonna put, you know, I could, I can put them here, and then I can love them well because I'm not getting offended and upset because I'm expecting more from them. If that makes sense. So that's the importance of having circles of friends. Yeah, that that question for me is really uncomfortable because then when people ask me what I do. And I have a doctorate in clinical psych. I mean, when you hear that, you automatically think, well, you're a doctor, so you automatically think you're better than I am, which that is not the case at all. And number two, I don't I want to be your friend, not your therapist. You know? <laughs> so I don't I, like I went to get my hair cut one day. And so the, the lady asked me, what do you do? And I and I told her what I did, and she starts crying. I'm like, oh. what is wrong? And she starts telling me about how she gave up a child for adoption. I'm like, can you just cut my hair? <laughs> like before I'm here. Like, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So, you know, I think it is about establishing that hierarchy and and sometimes you know, I personally feel inhibited about sharing that. So sometimes like if I'm in a, just a a crowd of people and somebody asks me that, sometimes I'll just say, well, I'm a counselor or I'm a teacher because I I do a lot of teaching things, you know, I'll just dumb it down because I don't want that hierarchy thing going on. And it's not that you're trying to hide it. You're trying to set the stage for a genuine, authentic interaction between two people who are human beings, not human doings. Right. We're talking about some of the things that can inhibit friendship. And I wonder if somebody listening to this is like, well, then how am I supposed to get to know someone? How am I supposed to get close to someone? And that's why our next question is, how can I actually develop 
healthy, deep, meaningful male friendships. And I want to start off talking about something Doug said about having a commonality, specifically a common goal, a common direction. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, he describes the difference between lovers and friends. Lovers are people who are absorbed in each other, adoring each other face to face. He said, friends are people who are facing in the same direction. And so that for me is the biggest key to the healthy male friendships in my life that I haven't been trying to force. They develop naturally as we're pursuing the same goal, the same direction. And that direction can be something as simple as a physical activity or something much more meaningful like healing and freedom or discipleship or um, putting on uh, an event together. The point is when you have a common goal, first of all, it's safer than if you're just focused on each other, especially if you're dealing with same-sex attraction, especially if you're concerned that the relationship could become unhealthy or too close. To be focused on the same goal, whatever that is, gives you a common purpose that, that's bigger than the friendship. And that's really healthy. Another thing that it does is it is more comfortable for us as guys. And I wanted to share a really fascinating insight about this. For thousands of years, human beings functioned in hunter-gatherer societies where the women took care of the children face-to-face and had circles of women together at home face-to-face while the men would go out side-by-side facing outward to protect the tribe or to hunt for the next meal. And we kind of have that hardwired within us that we connect through doing, through being on the same team. And so that just fits with us biologically. Over thousands of years, we've been conditioned for that. That's just how we work. And in that scenario, it's much easier to have that closeness, to have that bond. And sometimes it doesn't even take long. It's like sometimes just playing like pickup soccer with somebody immediately has this, this feeling of closeness. Now, then what we need to do is be intentional about going deeper. Steven, how do we do that? It boils down to something Marcus said, which is risk. I mean, it, someone's going to have to lead the way and show um, you have to put yourself out there. So the truth is, is you may pursue friendship and it may not be reciprocated and you may get hurt. Um, but that don't let that stop you. You still want to continue trying. Um, and this kind of, to me, even goes to like a deeper issue, which is I drew, as I heard you talking about having a common goal, I'm like, you know, I bet you there's a lot of guys that that's triggering the here just because they may feel aimless and they may feel like, you know, what am I pursuing in life? You know? So I'll give you a starting point, especially for the community listening to this. It's okay if your goal is, I'm just trying to be a healthier person and trying to figure out how to have healthy friendships. And maybe you're going to connect with other guys who are trying to do the same thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a grandiose, you know, go start a ministry, you know, like, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be anything like that. Um, but I think that really that lack of purpose is another issue. That's, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship where there's this loneliness that's feeding this lack of purpose and stuff like that. And people don't know where they belong. Um, but like I said, just the fact that you're chasing any kind of growth, I think is a great starting point and, um, let it grow from there. Drew, one thing that you said in that scenario that I was thinking about is 
you know, when you were talking about the women, they, they all stayed together. They raised the kids. They, they communicated, they were in community with one another. Um, you know, my wife and I tease each other, uh, about how men are the hunters and gatherers. We see the big picture and the women are all about the nuts and berries. So like, sometimes when she'll say something to me, I'm like, that is all nuts and berries. Like, <laughs> you know, but they're in community with one another. The men who were out there working side by side often had to sit in silence because if you were talking or noisy, you would scare the game away that you were trying to hunt. You know, so e even when we find these commonalities that we have with one another, even if it's as simple as I just want to be better at making friends, we have to communicate in those commonalities. We have to talk. We have to take that risk to say, you know, hey, why we're sitting here hunting or fishing or whatever. Hey, how's your life going? What's going on with you? Where are you at? Like, what are you working on? We have to take some risk and ask each other questions about one another to, to go deeper. We're not just going to get that through osmosis by sitting shoulder to shoulder. True. And while there can be a kind of a special intimacy to not needing to fill the space and being okay with just sitting together in silence, that communication is huge and it's hard it's hard to talk. Men don't talk. We think all these things about each other and then we don't talk about it. And so then we feel isolated and silence and we need to talk. Here's one of my favorite questions to ask. What's on your mind? Non-threatening, kind of low level vulnerability. You can take it wherever you want and yet also inviting some deeper connection and, and kind of getting to the core. So I love that question. What's on your mind? And there's another thing that really came up for me while you were talking about communication, which is conflict. And I've done an episode on this before, but we need to be able to acknowledge when we're experiencing conflict. For example, I texted this guy and he hasn't texted me back in three days. What am I going to do? Am I going to get angry and aggressive? Or am I going to avoid him or ignore him? Or am I going to just hold on with holding my breath? that maybe he'll respond or maybe he won't. And then I'll be really disappointed. Or am I just going to respond with curiosity and compassion and say, Hey, it's been a few days and I was not really sure if you got my message. That is so simple and yet so rare to actually talk about these moments when we feel hurt. I got a story about that. Um, yeah. I had a friend that we would get in really good conversations on Marco Polo. I love that app. <laughs> and um, what I found would happen is like, we'd be in the middle of a conversation. It felt like after I was sharing something that was deep for me, then he would go away for sometimes like a week at a time. And um, I, so I followed up with him and just let him know, like, I'm just saying, I'm realizing I'm not responding really well to like, it's stirring up stuff for me. I don't know like what's going on. And he actually responded really good. It's like, I can see that that's hurtful for you. And he had a really great response. It was very genuine and I appreciated it. Um, at the same time, like he acknowledged that he's in a really busy season of life and sometimes things come up and it just happens. And actually what that did was it gave me the ability to not be offended. Remember I was talking about talking about circles of friends. I realized I can't have them in like the inner circle, even though we connect in a really deep level because of his availability uh, to me. And so like I moved him out 
emotionally. And it, again, allowed me not to be offended with him. I want him to be chasing the goals and dreams that are on his life. I don't want to get in the way of that. Um, and if it's not returned, like I value myself enough to say like, you know, like, oh, it's not something wrong with me. It's just like, I know I'll find people eventually that are at the same level that I'm needing in this season. And that was the other thing too, is like, I recognize in this season, this isn't working for me. It, like I'm going through, this is bringing up stuff for me that's difficult. And, um, and I didn't have the capacity at that time to like deal with it in the healthiest way without getting offended, to be honest. So, um, so it was actually a really like healthy move, like mutually where like nothing but good feelings for him in the sense that I wish him well, I'm not offended. And, um, so yeah, I just, your story drew just brought that up for me. Cause one, like, I just want to say that, um, this was engaging conflict. It was like being honest, it's truth telling and it actually brought resolution. And it was, it was also coming from a place of, um, something that I think is really important is not coming into friendships as an orphan being like, I need you to make me well, but it's saying I belong and I'm talking to you, I'm telling you truth because I see myself as belonging and see myself as worthy of being known. That is huge. Let's go a little bit deeper in that. What do you mean by the difference between coming into friendship as an orphan versus coming in as a beloved son? I think of the movie Jerry Maguire, that famous line, you complete me. The truth is, is no, <laughs> like that's not um, healthy. That will create codependence and um, enmeshment um, quickly. So if I'm coming from a place where I need, like, Drew, if I could start calling you every day and I need your response to make me be secure, then that's coming in as an orphan. But if I'm secure and I'm coming to you because I'm coming from a sense of belonging and, um, that's healthy, you know? Um, I mean, that's a very baseline description of it. And I'm sure there's more We'll, we'll talk more about that, but that's just a huge baseline. And that's a bit of what I was talking about. The foundation of being brothers in Christ is yeah. Christ is the one who completes me, not this other person. And that frees me up to be honest about what I want or when I feel hurt or when the other person feels like they're getting a little too close and I need to have some more distance. And that's really tricky too. And we shy away from talking about that too, because we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. There are all kinds of different obstacles to developing male friendships, but you know, one of the biggest ones is knowing who do I invest in? Who do I select and say, okay, I'm going to pick this person and pursue this person. Marcus, what advice do you have about that? It's been a common aspect of my story of having, pursuing the wrong individuals, people that I used to have in my inner circle and are now, you know, by the nature of our friendship moving apart. And yet I'm still trying to grab hold of them like a maniac and bring them back into my inner circle and they don't fit there anymore. And it, I invested for two years in friends and family that just couldn't even give me the time of day. And you know what, for those two years, I was hurting so much. I've never felt so rejected since probably high school. I have not felt so alone because I'm constantly pursuing people that don't want to invest in me. And yet, if I just look the other direction, I have some friends over here that are wanting to invest in me. And what am I doing? I'm ignoring them. 
like the other people I was trying to invest in. So I turned my attention towards these people willing to invest in me and I wanted to invest in them in turn. And I have been living some of the best weeks of my life because I am spending time with people who are interested in me and not just interested in an image of me. I think that's one thing that's very important. Oftentimes when we start getting into these relationships with other men, we are putting on a facade of what we feel they would like me to be. But what we really need are people who accept us for who we are. I need people who accept me for the gamer, YouTuber, Twitch streamer, crazy uncle, you know, have a history of being an evil twin individual that I am. I need people to love me as I am, as I come into the friendship, not people who are wanting to have a false image of myself. And as I find these people who love me just as Marcus is, I am experiencing the absolute blessing that is friends that I can enjoy time with. We can laugh, we can joke, we can cry, we can get in deep philosophical discussions. We are, we are getting close and not stepping on each other's toes. Preach. Marcus, that was so powerful. And I also want to say you practice what you preach because even while we were preparing for this podcast episode, you, you asked us to pray for you because your pet rat was sick. I was like, that is vulnerability. It's like, and I remember Doug was like, hey, yeah, you have the pet rats. And it's like, yeah, you do. And, uh, and even before we were recording, you know, I, I had a little vulnerability moment where I showed you guys the little charcoal piece of paper where I'm wiping the sweat off my forehead. <laughs> um, and like all that little awkward stuff is how we get acceptance. It's how we feel exactly what you just said. And to see who's really going to respond or who's going to back off. It's almost like every single time we take that step into vulnerability with other men, it's almost like an interview process. (laughs) We are seeing who is going to be compatible to move closer in our circle of friendship until we ultimately get to those that we can truly be intimate with. and. Here comes that four letter word again. It's the risk. You cannot find that unless you take that brave step in risking to be vulnerable in risking to be hurt in order to find those people who will just love and accept you where you're at. Yeah. And there's another obstacle though, because even when we do find those people and it's like, oh, we had such a great connection. Then maybe a few weeks go by or maybe a few months go by and it fizzled out. Doug, how can we keep those connections going? Well, one way that men can keep connections going is to make uh, a schedule. Like every week, I'm going to talk to you on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. We're going to have a check-in, you know, or at Thursday night Bible study or whatever men do better when there are scheduled times, because let's face it, unless 
and sometimes this is even hard in recovery, we're not real prone to reach out and ask for help and to reach out and to just share or to just call a friend and say, hey, what are you doing? And to just start a conversation because the other guy's usually like, what do you want? You know, versus like, why are you calling me? Like, do you need something? You know, no, I just wanted to call, you know, and and talk. You'd be like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? You know, like, so if you have regular times to connect, men are much better. They anticipate it. They know they're going to be connecting. They can prepare themselves for that. It's not just out of the clear blue or you're not stuck kind of with your pants down, you know, so to speak, like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do here. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be sharing, you know, but there's some points of connection. So having some kind of scheduled activity and point of connection is really easier for men to then form closer relationships. One other thing I was going to say, Marcus brought up that it's an, uh, it's almost like an interview process. For me, it's also an observational process because I often sit back and I observe other men and how they treat other men. How do they treat their wives? How do they treat their kids? I observe that before I ever approach anyone and start breaking down that barrier barrier to start building a friendship. Because if I'm around you and we're in a group of guys and you are the one always talking about all the other guys behind their back, that's what you're going to do when you're not with me. Like, I want to I want to see the fruits of your spirit. You know, it's not just an interview, it's an observation as well. So, you know, I think we can use some of these skills to ask questions, to observe people's behavior, to then start being selective about who do I want to approach about forming a friendship, taking a risk with, making myself vulnerable with. And, and hopefully that's, that'll be safer for you to be able to take those risks. Absolutely. And I want to build on that by saying, when you do begin to pursue somebody, maybe you've been observing them, you've been hanging out with them. You're like, yeah, I really connect with this person. They seem like they're moving towards health. Okay. How much should I share? How much should I open up? What's appropriate? What is healthy vulnerability? And I want to give you one word about that, everybody. The word is incremental. Incremental means kind of like a, a staircase with different steps. You, you go a little bit and then a little bit and then a little bit more. It's not healthy or safe to share absolutely everything at once with somebody on the first time meeting them. And I've done that. And looking back, I regret it. Unless we have a very committed container, like we're in a private small group and we're going to be going through this for the next 12 weeks, kind of taking the lid off of all my deepest pain and hurt is not good for me and it's not good for the other person too early. We need to be incremental. I agree. Like even in the research regarding therapy, the research says that it's not until about the sixth session of individual therapy that a person really tells you why they're there. You know, so think of that's really incremental in a place where you're supposed to be sharing and supposed to be raw and supposed to be exposing all your demons, you know. So think about in friendship, that also needs to be incremental. You know, you need to 
put a morsel out there and see how that person responds to it. Do they come back at you in a way that's helpful to you? You know, or like what Steven said, do they then turn around and ignore you for a week? And you're like, where'd you go? I just shared, you know, a sixth of my pie that's really important to me. And you just walked away from it. You know, so how do they respond to those incremental pieces? You know, another interesting point in research is, is when men disclose about sexual abuse, most men do it piece at a time, piece at a time, piece at a time, because they want to know that they can share this and still be accepted. You know, but if you meet somebody and you just puke all over them the first time you meet them, that can be really overwhelming to some people and they will immediately run from you or you'll then feel violated because you just let all your boundaries go. Yeah. And it actually might be healthy for that person to run away. They might be concerned for their safety. They might feel triggered by that. And, and so you're right. It's better for everyone when we take it slow. And one thing I, I kind of had this, this image come into my mind based on that, where when you're meeting someone for the first time and you're kind of testing the waters, they didn't sign up for an entire emotional or life dump. And kind of what Doug was saying about, you know, you give them a little piece and see what it's like. It's not like you walk up to someone with a gigantic pizza and it's like, here, have this and you slam it in their face kind of a deal. It's like, no, you walk up to them. If you have a pizza, you offer them a slice. You're not just throwing the whole thing at them because they didn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Forming friendships is a lot like dating. The same yeah. concept. You don't go on a date and say, well, I've been in eight relationships. I've cheated on three of them. I blah, 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 you know, and dump out the whole routine in the first date. No, you let people get to know you at a slow pace. And there's no difference in friendship, doing that in friendship, just like you do dating. So if if there's not something you would do on a dating relationship, you sure shouldn't do it on your first friendship outing. (laughs) Doug, you're so right. It is like dating. And that's one of the reasons why it can also easily become inappropriate or enmeshed especially for men who are concerned that they might develop a crush on another guy if they get too close uh, or that another guy will develop a crush on them. How can we protect ourselves and others while we are forming these deep friendships, which kind of feel like dating? I actually want to ask Stephen because I feel like your insight on being an orphan or a beloved son is really important here. I mean, so if you are a guy who has struggled with same-sex attraction and therefore you're, those are the guys that we're talking to are probably concerned about if I'm going to develop, you know, an inappropriate sexual attraction or a crush. Um, And at the same time, uh, codependence can exist for anyone, whether you've struggled with same-sex attraction or not, right? And really, um, I think that... (sighs) This is again, like if you're coming in to this place where um, I need you to be okay, then that's that emotional entanglement that becomes, you know, unhealthy is really the best way to say it. Um, because again, if we are, Drew, to use your uh, imagery, like locking arms, 
headed towards something, there's an element where like, yeah, we want to know that we're surrounded by people that have our back and see us and can call out our true identities when we're struggling. We also want guys that can tell us the truth. I think really good evidence of um, making sure that we're not getting uh, enmeshed in an inappropriate way is are we able to tell the truth? Because you're probably avoiding conflict with the person if you don't want to lose them and therefore you are disappearing and that's codependence. So it's like, I'm not showing up in this friendship anymore because I'm not truth telling anymore. I'm holding back and because I'm avoiding conflict. And that's a great sign that codependence is happening. And if I'm coming into it as a beloved son, that I already know I'm accepted, I'm loved, yes. I'm important without this person. And that allows me to be brave enough to tell the truth. Different people are going to be wired differently where they need a bigger inner circle than others and stuff like that. But I do think it's really healthy to have um, more than one uh, because especially, it, you know, Doug, you gave the statistics of the loneliness epidemic that we're in. I, I don't even, I think without statistics, every guy knows it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's proven statistically, but we just know because we've experienced it and we're, we're walking out of it. Right. So there's this like high, uh, high stakes things to when we find a good friend, we don't want to lose them. But if we actually come in, like you said, as I belong and I treat myself as belong, belonging wherever I go. And I just know that like the right connections are going to happen that are going to push me towards my calling God. And that connection is available to me. Um, I, I know I can tell the truth. And one practical way that we can do that is, you know, pursue more than just one really close friendship because then there's an element of like, well, if I lose this person, I know like I'm living it out. I have other people, you know, and it's just healthy because it, telling the truth is so important for, again, staying in a healthy place and also just for our personal growth. So I want, I want guys in my life that know they can challenge me. And if we're like one thing, we practice like in husband material groups is we say, ask, Hey, do you need to be encouraged or challenged right now? Like you want to put yourself out there sometimes with some people where you actually invite challenge in. And it's a lot different to say that I need this one person versus I need to have friends. All of us need to have friends and we need to depend on our friends. But as soon as it becomes fixated on one person, yes. now it's dangerous. Yeah. And if you're really like, not sure of yourself, like I would say, you know, ask, put yourself out there with someone else and say, Hey, like somebody, I would say, especially if you're someone who struggles with same sex attraction or has struggled with same sex attraction, find someone who doesn't, who doesn't have that, um, and is secure and say, can I just run like some of my friendships by you? And you just give me honest feedback on what you think about it. Just because then at least you're living in the light. That's a big yeah. thing. And like, I brought this up too, like in the notes for this is, especially if you're a married guy and this is part of your story, like if you're hiding like the relationship as like, I get confidentiality in friendships, but if you're hiding um, from your wife, again, that's a bad sign. <laughs> that's a red flag, you know? Um, so, and I say that knowing that some of the guys who are listening have never even disclosed their story to their wives, but um, one, we should be pursuing growth where we get to a point where we do that. And in the meantime, you should have, safe boundaries in place where it's like, yeah, I have people that I'm, you know, running things off by to keep myself in a safe place. So I am moving yeah. forward. So it can be really hard to know what those boundaries should be as we're yeah. becoming vulnerable about our sexuality with other guys. Yes. Doug, yeah. what advice do you have as we're having these sexual discussions 
to keep things in a good place? Well, I, I think you have to look at your purpose. Like, what is my purpose for talking about X, Y, and Z in relation to sex or sexuality or sexual experiences or issues? You know, it, it, am I telling you because this is an important part of my story that I need feedback on? I need acceptance about. I need to find a voice to it and just simply tell someone else or has it reached a point where I'm feeling aroused by what I'm sharing with you and I'm looking to create arousal in you from what I'm sharing? Those are the areas where it becomes an inappropriate exchange. For example, um, part of what I do is I do sex therapy and I work with men around problematic sexual behavior and dysfunction as well. And so like sometimes when people find out I do sex therapy, they want to start having very intimate conversations. And I'm fine with that as long as it is about work on the the problem um, versus just starting to share sex stories. (laughs) Yep. You know, because again, that goes into an arena where, you're attempting to create arousal. You're not working on something. And so I think that's an important question that you have to ask yourself. What is my purpose in sharing this? What do I hope to gain from it? And what, what is my underlying ultimate goal here? That's so good. That's so good. We need to ask ourselves those questions, both on the receiving end of like, hmm, I wonder why this person is sharing such deep and kind of disturbing things with me. And why am I sharing these things? Unfortunately, a lot of it is not cognitive. We're not aware of why we're doing it. The other person may not be aware of why they are doing it. And that is why my number one piece of advice is to trust your gut. We all have this internal alarm system, which a lot of times trauma has damaged. So we, we don't trust our gut because it's been invalidated or we've been gaslighted or, or because of all the different ways that we could have been hurt in the past. But a huge part of healing and of protecting ourselves is listening to that gut level, nonverbal signal that we get that something's a little bit off here. Something is not right. It doesn't feel right. And rather than intellectually squashing that, paying attention, And maybe even bringing it up with the other person, like actually talking about it. Like, hey, this kind of feels unsafe. Uh, Something doesn't feel right about this. Um, And especially if you're in the husband material community, we want you to report those kinds of things because almost always, even if it's not uh, your worst fear coming true about what's happening in that situation, you're probably on to something because we are very, very good at sensing these things. If only we could listen to our bodies and trust our gut. Well, I think another thing you have to watch out for is, are you telling somebody a story or, or are they telling you a story, something about sex that is simply to create a deeper sense of curiosity? Like they're baiting you to ask another question. Like if a guy starts making vague comments about how large his penis is, or like, are they baiting you to ask more questions? Are they, are they just trying to reel you in to take that conversation deeper in a, in an inappropriate level. And we've had that happen. I've had that happen in conversations 
or or something ambiguous, uh, like for example, a, a picture was sent, which was maybe a little bit too revealing, or a, a question that felt invasive. Trust your gut. If it feels off, you're probably onto something. If you start to feel it in your pants versus your gut, mm. there's a problem. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's an incredible observation for that. Um, because we can, we can learn so much from what our bodies are trying to tell us, because whether it's happening in your gut or it's happening in your pants, you're being triggered. And when you are triggered, I mean, scientifically speaking, this part of your brain starts to shut down. And you're not going to make the best decisions when you're triggered. And if, if someone is essentially like baiting you into getting into a triggered state, then that's definitely something that you want to take a step back from. There's not, it's not healthy. There is something wrong taking place in that scenario. And there is absolutely nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a step back, reevaluating the situation and figuring out, okay, what's going on here and how can I avoid this in the future? Yeah. There's so many things again, the way of feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, feeling anxious, maybe not wanting the other person to experience the consequences of, of their behavior. Um, so you're right. It is always respectful to take a step back if we need to. It's always respectful to ask permission before sharing something if you're not sure if it's appropriate or if the other person's ready for it. And if you share something vulnerable, like, hey, that felt unsafe for me, and the other person invalidates you or doesn't respond with empathy, that's also a red flag. Like, oh, no, this should be okay. You should be totally fine sharing everything with me because that's how we do it in this community. No. No. Our number one core value in the husband material community is safety. Safety, empathy, and confidentiality. So we want to protect those things. That is so good because the truth is, is that, um, yeah, if you're setting a boundary, like, again, a really, you know, you talk about observing, Doug. Um, if we set a boundary and someone doesn't honor it and doesn't respond to it well, be it, um, and it doesn't even have to be in these weird cases where we're, uh, you know, maybe feeling something in our, like in our gut about like, I don't know about this person, but we set up a boundary and a person has a hard time honoring it. Again, that's, that's actually a sign that that person is not safe because a person should be valuing that you have a boundary and they should be for you in that way. I, I almost want to, I just want to say even to the community, like you have permission to to step away. You have permission to mm -hmm. not respond. You have permission to not care about maybe you are overly um, protecting in that moment and it could hurt that person. You know, they should be happy for you that you're, um, that you're covering yourself. Well, and along with what Steven said earlier, he, I mean, he, he mentioned same sex attraction a lot, but I, I would even go further and say there are, there are a lot of men in our, in the community here who have deep father wounds. 
And sometimes that leads to SSA, sometimes it doesn't, but it still leads for a deep need for affirmation from another male, you know? And so you've got to be careful even about, are you trying to gain friendship or, or approval or even sexual approval from this person to fulfill something that you're missing? Or is this truly, we're trying to be in community together. That's it. That's it. That's the difference between the orphan and the beloved son. The orphan is is still clinging to any shreds of attention and approval and affirmation he can get. The beloved son is focused on connecting from a place of attention and affirmation. And one way men tend to get affirmation is through their sexuality. So then yeah. open up these sexual conversations with other men. Yeah you might be using that as your avenue to try to gain some affirmation. Yeah. And if you're doing that, I just want to say that's totally normal. Like it's okay. We're here to help you and to guide you. In some ways, I hope this episode, this big long episode is like an introduction course that that's going to be giving you some of the guidance that you may have not received as a boy. I certainly didn't receive it as a boy and I'm so glad to be learning it as an adult. We're growing up together. And that's a beautiful thing. No one ever told me, I think, that it's okay to not like someone or to not be friends with someone at a friend level. I thought it's always the Christ-like, Jesus-like thing to do, to be outgoing and show that I'm interested. No. So whether you are feeling like you're in danger of sexually acting out with someone else, or you're scared of maybe putting yourself in a compromising position where somebody else might take advantage of you. Um, Let's talk. Let's be open and honest. Let's, Let's keep our core values of safety and empathy and confidentiality and, and you know what? It is messy. Community is a mess and it's a mess worth making. We're not going to do it right all the time. <laughs> We're going to hurt each other and we are going to deal with it maturely. We're going to grieve. We're going to forgive each other and, and we're going to grow. And one of the ways we're going to do that is actually in person at the husband material celebration weekend retreat where all four of us will be there. I'm so excited. And as we do that, I think there are going to be some questions that come up about male touch and what's appropriate. What is not okay, especially when it comes to skin. Um, And maybe we're at the beach in bathing suits. Um, Maybe some guys are wondering, okay, well, is nudity going to be a part of this? Is nudity okay? And we're going to do a whole other episode about nudity later, but let's just get some basic framework here about how should we approach touch and physical touch uh, with our friends in person? Marcus, why is physical touch so important? Physical touch is one of the most important things that any person can enjoy and experience. 
I mean, there, there are horror stories of what's happened in orphanages where they, where these orphans, they are getting the food that they need. They have a roof over their head. They have a bed to sleep in, but the staff is so overwhelmed with the sheer volume of people, of kids, of orphans within this structure that these kids have experienced detrimental cognitive and behavioral problems. And I've even heard where some of them have even died because of a lack of physical connection and physical touch. It's an important thing. I have a great friend in the Husband Material Academy community who the first time he and I met he was intentional as we've been talking the first time we were going to meet, we were going to have an eight second hug. And he was telling me there is an important thing about this hug and the duration of it. And in some of my research, the stats are kind of all over the board, but anything beyond just a quick little, you know, hug slap on the back. And now we're going away kind of deal it releases oxytocin into your brain and, you know, piggybacking off of the podcast that Greg was in, it's the bonding hormone. It actually bonds us to the other person that we are having this physical connection with. Physical touch is important. It absolutely is. It gives us a sense of camaraderie. It gives us a sense of closeness. It lets us know that we can be vulnerable with this other person because talking about that inner circle of friends, we have brought them into our closest circle that they can be in outside of a sexual relationship. Right. Physical touch is not an optional add-on. It is a basic human need. Without it, we literally deteriorate. And at the same time, it can be risky. It can be dangerous. It could even lead to sexual things. So what are some basic boundaries we need to have around physical touch, especially with other men? Well, I think it starts with a mental process versus a true physical process that I think you have to ask yourself, what is my motive? What is my intention? And what is my purpose? You know, if, if, we're in a locker room. I'm going to expect there to be nude people. Do I need to walk around showing my body off? Do I need to be using it to try to get attention? No, that's inappropriate nudity. But if we're in a locker room and I'm walking to the shower or I'm walking back or whatever, that's normal. You know, if we're, you know, sitting in a sauna, not for the purpose of anything sexual. Um, you know, what is your intent and your purpose? Is it a setting where nudity is expected, but in an appropriate way? And it's not prolonged nudity. Like, I don't think it's good for guys to just sit around naked and hang out together. I don't think yeah. men sharing physical touch, like as far as like sitting around cuddling with one another. You know, there have been some recent, you know, movements about men having cuddle groups and stuff like that. And I understand the need for touch with another man. I think getting a hug, getting support, getting a slap on the back, you know, those kinds of things are important male touch. 
But when it starts going beyond just physical connection and it starts to again have purpose or that I'm trying to fill a need from this, I, I think you're entering into a, an area of danger there. Yeah. You know, I mentioned father wounds a minute ago. I, I think a lot of men with father wounds off also seek out male touch. You know, but I also think they sexualize that thinking that they're that's how they can get more of it. Mm-hmm. If that worked, you you could go do that a couple of times and then you would be healed. It clearly doesn't work. You're never going to be able to satiate that deficiency that you had from a male figure in your life, an important male figure that was supposed to give you the appropriate amount of touch. You're never going to be able to satiate that through another man. It it may lessen through appropriate touch, but that's a part of your life that you're going to have to accept as a wound. You know, and then not resort to inappropriate boundaries or lack of boundaries trying to meet that need. So you've got to ask yourself, what is my purpose for touch? What is my purpose for being nude around other men right now? Yeah. And Doug, I know that you've said if prolonged male touch is something that you feel like you need, then maybe you can find appropriate ways like getting a professional massage. Right. And that could be appropriate, not one with a happy ending. Right. <laughs> you go get a, yeah. a, a massage mm-hmm. from a male masseur where you're getting prolonged male touch. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that as long as it's maintained in a professional manner. Yes. And while we are getting close to each other emotionally, online, physically, in person, or both, it's very normal to feel it in your pants in terms of having an erection. Uh, I've heard it called a connection erection. And that is totally normal. It's fine. I even get connection erections with my kids. There's nothing sexual about it. It's just the way that our bodies work. And if you want more insight on what to do when you get an erection, you can see my other episode about that. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Getting an erection does not mean that you're sexually attracted to someone. Getting an erection does not mean that it's going to last forever. It does not mean that you need to satisfy it. It could just be something as simple as, oh, I feel good right now, or nothing. There could also just be no cause. It could just be an erection. And so I just want to kind of normalize and validate that because you're probably going to feel that if you haven't already. Um, and you may even have a little bit of fluid come out, and that's normal too. Uh, Stephen, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I one thing I just want to pull in is again coming from a married perspective is it's I find it's really important to in general just be living in the light and be talking about this with other people. Um, the truth is is some of like if you're white again I have in my history uh, same sex attraction. So there's certain things that my wife, are, it's just hard for her to deal with. And it doesn't make her a bad person that she's processing and that stirs up difficult things. So I've had times in my life where, um, like, you know, Doug's describing locker room scenarios. Those are things like I don't do. And the thing is, is I'm not in a place where 
I'm like craving and feel like I'm missing out. And I have to say, I do believe that's because of the inner child work I've done and I've dealt with the orphan and I've become more secure because it's really interesting. Like when you're on the journey of emotional health and you begin to spend time with the, the kid that's showing up and having needs, like when I spend time with little Steven, it's like he's getting a hug. It's mm. like he's getting cuddled. And I feel the same release, just imagining it in a healthy way that as I did, if I was getting it from another guy and I, I used to be a guy, I, I remember I had a friend and I, I talked about it openly with my wife. I was like, where I was like, I was feeling this desire to be cuddled. And she's like, that's really uncomfortable for me. And um, we talked through it. And honestly, I don't have that anymore. I do not have this desire to like need to be cuddled. And it's, um, I'll just say one thing, when you actually deal with the inner child, it's like when a little kid is in pain and you meet them at an, in an emotional way, you meet their needs in an emotional way. There's a point where they bounce back and want to go off and play and everything is just resolved. And that I, that's what it is, you know? So I just want to encourage you guys, like if you're desiring to be cuddled, if you're desiring to see guys naked and it feels like, like these are just like really intense things, pay attention to the little kid that's, um, that's showing up because you could probably get cuddled cuddling you could probably see nudity and the truth is is um just like using porn doesn't actually meet your need for healthy male connection in a, in a healthy way those things aren't going to meet that need it's not going to heal you because you're not doing the inner work you're just it, it's like having a bucket without a bottom and as soon as the source of love turns off so like porn is your source it's a bad source of love but it's that source of feeling good and it releases connection as soon as it um, turns off you're empty it can be the same thing even with these healthy forms of uh male interaction you got to be doing the inner work and like drew said that's something that we can help with i want you guys to not think that like especially if you're a guy that it feels unsure, like whether you've struggled with SSA or not. Um, if you feel unsure about how you're responding and you're just not comfortable, that's okay. Again, you can have a boundary. It's okay. And you can say, you know, this is not a situation I want to be in. And there are healthy ways to get those needs met mm-hmm. that will honor yourself and honor the people that are important to you. I, I like that analogy that you gave there. We need to stop trying to fill the bucket. We need to fix the bucket first. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It boils down to owning again, coming into a sense that I belong. I love myself. I love my expression of masculinity. I can go and say that awkward joke and it's okay if no one laughs, you know, <laughs> like it's okay. Um, I can go be Steven and just choose to belong here. And actually that's to me how I, I know I'm leading, like if I'm initiating male touch, if I'm putting my arm like on someone's shoulder, I'm doing it from a place of I belong. If I'm doing it, like I need something. And first of all, like when people get to you, it feels weird and you kind of want to shy away. It's like, I yep. can't be that for you. Mm, sorry. Mm-hmm. Like go, I, I don't want to be that for you. But if, if it's coming from a pay, place of belonging, it's very healthy. And it, it should, like we've already talked about male touch is really important and we should be initiating it. But again, we want to be doing it from the, from a healthy place. Some of us, need to just be practicing even talking to ourselves like in this way that I belong. I love my expression of masculinity. I love the way masculinity is expressed in my body. I love, you know, and then, and I get, as we say those things, sometimes it's hard to believe them. 
that go get some therapy until it gets until it makes sense until you believe it. Go get really good at spending time with little Steven, little Drew, little Marcus, little Doug until um, you actually believe it embodied. Because all it is is a lack of parenting. Because if you had a dad telling you you were awesome and that your body was great as a kid and you lived in that world where that was normal, you would not be having those insecurities. Mm-hmm. And you would not be searching for it externally. You'd be carrying it with you and giving it out in a healthy way. Yes, and amen. And that is appropriate for a father to embrace yes. his child. Absolutely. And to hold him there for as long as it takes. We Absolutely. can get that from God. Yes. And we can give that to ourselves. Yes. And we can invite other people into that as well from a place of abundance rather than scarcity, from a place of being an adult rather than a child, because my child's needs are taken care of, because I'm able to give him that hug. And even though it may just be happening in my imagination of thinking of little Drew and and giving him a big hug, you're right, it has the same effect on our brains. So this is the place from which we are going to step boldly into embodied male friendship on the husband material retreat. In Santa Barbara, our priority is to make it a safe place, both physically, emotionally, um, to make it safe from sickness. We're going to have all the precautions to protect against COVID-19 at this event, and we are going to connect and practice the very things that we've been talking about here, doing some workshops. We're going to go hiking. There's going to be a lot in a little amount of time. And I hope you'll be able to join us. I mean, the the one thing that's coming to my mind about it that I wouldn't mind saying is I'm just looking forward to seeing you guys there. I, I have, I have some friends. I even have some clients that I work with that are coming to this retreat. I am so excited to be able to see all of you in person, to be able to hug your neck, pat you on the back and just experience this wholesome male bond and friendship with as many of you as we can in the short time that we have. I really second that. I third it. Can't wait to see your faces, meet you all. And uh, it's going to be great. Yeah. And to be together because we are God's beloved sons. And in each one of us, he is well-pleased. Oh,